introduce you. I'd like to bring up Timothy. Pastor Timothy is going to be bringing the word this morning for us. All right. We were already doing it during the worship. We were giving such loud yells and I could just, you know, I was getting that Palm Sunday kind of feel, you know, we're past that now. But in heaven, you know, there's going to be that same anticipation, you know. When I get to heaven, I never want to uh, uh, get tired of seeing Jesus. <laughs> when I see Jesus, I want to give out that yell, you know, hey, I'm here, Jesus. Look at me, Jesus, you know. So like we're going to begin today with a big yell. Um a yell to God. Shall we do it? Count of three. One, two, three. Jesus! Yes, we love you, Lord. He is risen. We love you, Jesus. Woo! Jesus! Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for your Jesus, Lord. Today is all about you. This is your party, Lord. And Lord, we want to bring enthusiasm to that, Lord. No matter what we're feeling in our bodies, Lord, we are going to declare your goodness. We're going to shout your name. We're going to lift your praise in this house today. Amen. All right, grab a seat. So uh, last week I announced the way we're going to be approaching Easter um, this year for 2021, and we're approaching it from the perspective of the Great Wedding Banquet. And I want to quickly just echo last week's sermon, which was all about our first love for Jesus. So, and this was a verse I quoted during that preach, and I'm going to say it again. I think it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible too. John 14:3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. The reason I love that verse, like that verse is so significant for me, the reason I love it so much is that it, it tells me that Jesus, in a way, he doesn't want to go. <laughs> and if I go, <laughs> hadn't made his mind up yet, if I go, uh, he does, you know, Jesus has gone to make a home for us. He didn't just go to abandon us. Jesus isn't the kind that abandons. He's such a loving God. And he's, he's going to come back for us. I love that. That's such a romantic gesture. I will come back for you. I'm going to make a home for you. I'm going to come back for you. It's a romantic gesture. Now, Revelations 19, 6 to 9. Then I heard what sounded like the voices of many people. It was like the sound of powerful rushing water. And it was like loud thunder. And it said, thanks to our God, for the Lord our God is King. He is the all-powerful one. Let us be full of joy and be glad. Let us honor Him, for the time has come for the wedding supper of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus. His bride, that's us, the church, has made herself ready. She was given clean, white, fine linen clothes to wear. The fine linen is the right living of God's people. That's why we're wearing white today. That's why the bride wears white on the wedding day, signature of purity. The angel said to me, write this, those who are asked to the wedding supper of the Lamb are just, they're just happy. <laughs> they're happy. Let's pray, God. Oh, Lord, as we approach uh, this scripture today, Lord, as we talk about these mysteries of your word, Father, as we, as we talk about this wedding to you, Lord, Lord, I pray that our, art, our hearts will be open to you, Father. 
Lord, I pray that we will not hold you at a length from us, Father, that there will be no blocks, Father, that there will be no, no things that say that we can't feel so close to you and we can't feel that intimacy for you, God, because, Lord, we, you designed that. <laughs> we were made to feel that, Father. And, Lord, help us understand these things. Amen. And so, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to celebrate the joining of the Son of Man, Jesus, with us, His church bride in holy matrimony, the holiest of matrimonies. And it's truly a match made in heaven. How do you like that? <laughs> and yes, yes, we were, we, were made for the, we were made for this, for this singular, momentous moment. Mankind was made to be the church, living in loving infatuation with our good creator, God. And But we stuffed it up. Each and every one of us, we disobeyed. We disobeyed God. We divorced ourselves from him. We ran, we hid, we buried. Our hearts shriveled. Our image contorted in the mirror. Shame upon shame, can't even bear to look. Our minds tangled up, twisted upon sin's hook. And nevertheless, whilst we were still dead in our sin, Enslaved in our sin, he sought us out. He brought us out of our shell. <laughs> he, rom he romanced our hearts. And when we are with him, when we are with our Jesus, we feel. We feel. It's hard to believe that that's even real, how much we can feel when we're with our Jesus. <laughs> our hearts burn within us once more. We roar down walls. We dance upon the tempest. We run without tiring. We fly with the eagles. It's love. We feel special with Him. You know, catching my reflection in Jesus' eyes... I just want to climb right in. I want to be the me that he sees. He calls life out of me, a life I never knew was even in there. He heals a beauty in me that I dared not even hope for. And it's got to the point where I don't even recognize myself anymore. So who am I? Who are we to deserve such kindness, such gentleness, such a love as what we have? But I don't care what they say. They're not going to keep the love at bay. No way. <laughs> I can't turn away, and I won't. I can't turn away from Jesus. I can't turn away from his loving gaze, and I won't. I won't go back to yesterday's ashes. I can't pretend anymore. I can't pretend that I care about anything but Jesus anymore. I care. I do. I care so much it hurts. This love changes us. It's changed me. This love changes us. You know, when you let that love of Jesus into the depths of your being, you know, there's a, it's a force. 
It's a force. It pushes things out. It, it expands your heart to the point where the other things can't stay anymore. The infinite love of Jesus, it's big. It's real big. The love has changed me. It's made me brave. It's made me beautifully foolish. It's made me bold. It's paved my every footsteps with gold. So who am, who am I? I'm his. <laughs> I am his, of course. Obvious. <laughs> uh, I'm his. I've got something to fight for. I have a purpose. I'm adored. Doesn't matter what anyone ever says again about me. Say what you want. I'm adored. Restored, adored. What other rhyme words can I come with on the spot? I'm adored. And then you get to the point where you either say, so either come to the wedding or don't. But apologize, we won't. We're not going to apologize about our love of Jesus our marriage to Jesus. I don't care if they don't understand our love. I don't care if the world doesn't understand our love. This is how most marriages and datings begin. It's you two versus the world, Jesus and you versus the world. I don't care if they don't understand. I just want to be with Jesus. Blinded by hate, the enemy thought that he'd won. Ha ha. Envisioned by love, Jesus proposed to become one. It's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. And through the divine mystery of marriage, to become one, Genesis 2.24. An invisible, indivisible union. Thus God the Father was able to restore life to mankind through marriage to his Son. Just as this one most majestic man, Jesus, he forfeited his own life 2,000 years ago to buy back mankind from our disobedience, our unfaithfulness, our adulterous sin. So today, we, the church, willingly, we forfeit our lives, we forfeit our individual pursuits to unify in one focus, one heart, one mind, eyes set firmly on Jesus, willing to surrender Willing to become his bride. It's a willingness. In joining ourselves to Jesus, we die to our sin and are all at once swept off our feet into resurrection. <laughs> now, the mystery, uh, you know, I can tell you're not quite there with me with this mystery business about marriage. You know, God and sin don't go together. Like oil and water, they can't mix. That's like God and sin. That's like goodness and badness. The devil will try and confuse you and say bad's good, up's down, blah, blah. But the mystery of marriage is that the, the, the two can become one. And so who's going to win when God joins himself, when he marries himself to mankind, who's going to win out of that battle between the good and the bad? When he joins himself, when they become one. I mentioned it before, when you let that love of God inside you, it pushes the other stuff out. 
praise God for that. Praise God for that. The two become one. We join ourselves to God's goodness. We join ourselves to his heaven. That's our entryway into heaven. Now, let's talk about weddings for a second. I was a little bit, um, this is kind of doing like, I don't have to lean as I read it. Um, You know, I was a little bit remiss to talk about weddings because my own wedding was kind of so underwhelming. Uh, no, 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 Cherie was great. The rest of the stuff was just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, darling. No, no. Wow. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, we were 19 and we were poor. And I, I don't even know if I had a job. Hey. <laughs> Throw me under the bus. Um but, uh, yeah, it rained on our wedding day. And, um, yeah, there was just a bunch of people huddled under, like, uh, a barbecue area at a park. <laughs> We'd wanted to be married on the beach, but it rained. But anyway, you know, Sheree went puddle jumping. It was, it was amazing. I, I loved it. I personally love it. But that's not good enough for Jesus' wedding, all right? Now, the average wedding... Uh, one thing I've noticed about the average wedding is it's, it's very much geared towards um, an encounter. It's like it, it builds up to the moment where the bride appears, right? And, you know, uh, you know, she'll be like dressed in the most expensive dress that she can get. And she'll rock up in the most expensive car. And then all of the people will rise to their feet. And they'll just kind of, you know, hold their breath and gasp in awe. You know, depending on how close they are, they may even cry. You know, like it's just the most beautiful person in the world in that moment. The most beautiful you'll ever look. It's, it's about this encounter. And it's even in, in the traditions, they're so geared toward this encounter. It's like for like a lot of people, the tradition is you don't even see each other for 24 hours, Right. And it's like it's, it's, you're fasting from even seeing that person so that when they walk in the room, that like we can relive with them that, that moment of true love's first sight. And they kind of, it's overwhelming, you know, it's overwhelming. What I love about Jesus's wedding, though, is that he also does a little bit of a grand entrance to his own wedding. He's like uh, the true poster boy for knight in shining armor in his entrance. Revelations 19.11. Jesus arrives at his wedding on a white horse. Boom. Imagine those doors rocking up. Jesus on a white horse. Amazing. I love it. And then all of the heavens are bursting open behind him with all of the armies of heaven following behind. White horses, white clothing again people who are dating this is like you know giving you ideas for your wedding here you know this is how you can enter and the names Jesus wears for the occasion are those of a groom faithful and true that gives me goosebumps faithful and true what man can claim such names Faithful and true. Isn't that the hope of every woman marrying a man? That that will be the name that they can call their husband? 
faithful and true. And written on his robes are these words as well. He doesn't say it about himself. It's just written. King of kings and Lord of lords. His eyes are a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Now, in true wedding tradition, we've got to wait two full chapters before the bride arrives. <laughs> in Revelations, you know, I going through this sermon, my eyes were open to Revelations because, you know, you kind of learn whispers in church about Revelations. You're like, oh, don't bother reading it. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you'll never understand it. But I tell you, perfect love casts out all fear. I can tell you, when you read Revelations with eyes of perfect love, it's a love story. I'm telling you, it's a love story. The whole way through it, it's like wedding plans. It's like wedding plans. Anyway, we'll come more to that in a second. Now, we've got to wait two more full chapters before the bride arrives. And let me tell you, it's well worth the wait. And there is nothing that you could ever have experienced that will prepare you for the mystery of what you're about to witness next. Revelations 21, 9 to 11. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he, the angel, carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. Now you know that you're about to witness something of scale, something of immense gravity, when in order just to see the thing, you've got to be ushered by an angel and taken in the spirit to a high mountain in order to give enough space that you can witness this thing. Every other bride in the history of mankind is like, you know, a shrouded crone bowled down the aisle compared to what you're about to see here, people. This is going to be the image of grace and beauty. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, filled with the shining greatness of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So where's the bride? Hiding in the city. Have you read this? You know this? Where's the bride? Come, I'll show you the bride. City descends. Where's the bride? We, the church bride, we are the city. And now some of you were struggling when I was talking about the church as a bride. So I don't know how you're going to cope with now we're a city. (laughs) Things in the spirit aren't the same as the flesh. You know, God entrusts us with these images. There is a depth of your emotion, a depth of your heart, and a depth of your mind as a human that you can have access to. And He entrusts you with this because He loves you. And those that have that heart of Jesus, you know, we see these mysteries and we delight in these mysteries because there's so much goodness in this. We, the bride, we are shining the greatness of God. We're like a precious jewel to Him. The church bride's the city itself. Image of beauty and grace. We descend from heaven. I sometimes, when I think of the church, I sometimes imagine it as like, you know, a bit dirty, a bit battered around. That's not the church as Jesus sees it. That's not the church that will present itself 
at the heavenly banquet. It doesn't crawl up from hell. It descends from heaven. A few weeks back at prayer meeting, I was like quite unexpectedly overcome with an impression, a glimpse of the way that Jesus sees his church bride. And I was kind of like, I was just, you know, I saw Jesus standing at the altar, like waiting for his church bride. And in, I was searching his eyes. And I guess I was expecting at some level to see disappointment, to see shame. Instead, what I found was pride in his eyes. I found excitement. I found joy safety, desire, all of these things in Jesus' eyes toward the church. It was at once gentle and strong. His heart, his heart would swell. His face would light up just to see the church. It was that moment of seeing, that moment of encounter to see the church. And he delighted to see her smile. He delighted to see her dance without inhibition, completely free. You know, her freedom was his joy as a groom. And in that moment as well, I knew I could, you know, like, because when you're in the spirit, there's no, it's not the same as the flesh. You can feel someone's heart. You can see in their eyes, their mind. You can feel those things when you're in the spirit. And I knew that Jesus wanted to run to the bride. You know, when the, when the groom sees the bride come in and it's like he gets that little, you know, that little thing men do sometimes, like that double bounce. <laughs> it's like they're trying to hold their feet, you know, like they wanted to run to the bride. And I could see that Jesus looking at the bride, the church, he wanted to run to, he could barely contain himself to just wait. This is, I'm talking about Jesus in heaven right now. I'm talking about the heart of him. And if you know Jesus, you'll know the heart of him. This is his heart to you right now. He just wants to run to you. He just wants to see you free. He wants goodness for you. When you look in his eyes. No one's ever going to see you like that. Everything you've ever wanted to be. Every truth you've ever known, it's in there. The closest example I could find is in the wedding scene in Song of Songs, which as you might recall is a parable to our love story with Jesus. Song of Songs, chapter four, the wedding scene. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves, innocent. There is no flaw in you. You've ravished my heart. With one glance of your eyes, one jewel of your necklace. Oh, that's love. How can Jesus see us this way? How can Jesus see past our sin? It boggles my mind. It makes me never want to sin again. The grace of it the calling of it, what he sees in me. How can he see me this way? 
no flaw in you. All right. It's come time now in today's ceremony for the bride and groom to exchange vows. There are no obligations on earth sweeter or more tender than those you're about to assume. There are no vows more solemn than those you're about to make. There's no human or heavenly institution more sacred than that of the home that you are about to form. Let's just have fun with it. Let's keep going. Marriage is the holiest of all relationships, and it's our best earthly example of the depth of intimacy that we share with Jesus. The best example. That's why it's used in the Bible. Now, for millennia, the Bible actually tells us that all creation has groaned with sin in effort to birth the children of heaven. That's what it says. And likewise, we mankind, we groan in, in the brokenness of this world. We groan in, to feel hurt. And we long and we pine for our relationship with Jesus when every tear will be wiped away, happily ever after with Jesus. And it's a theme that's echoed through every love song, secular or not, and every earthly coupling, that longing for love, that longing for complete oneness, complete acceptance. There's only one place you're going to find that. Now, admittedly, today is just a humble dress rehearsal of a wedding banquet to come. And yet I thought that through a sincerity and a longing of our hearts that we could make it a kind of true, none the same. It's a heart posture that we're doing here today. Now, God loves to make sweet promises to his church bride. Upon his 27th reading of the Bible, Dr. Everick R. Storms concluded there to be 7,487 promises from God to mankind within the Bible. (laughs) And that's some 25% of the total sum of Scripture in the Bible. So one in four verses is a promise from God to you. Now, since the appointed venue for Jesus' marriage to the church is heaven itself and the account of the great wedding is in Revelation 19, I've decided to focus in on seven vows within that story where Jesus speaks directly to the church. Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And here are Jesus' vows as he talks to the church. And I've, I've picked a theme from it. And you can be, you can, that's fine. I've just seen what I see in it, but you can see what you see within these verses. Revelation 2, 7. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. And it explains what that means, which is the paradise of God. And to me, the theme I call that is joy. <laughs> it's hard to not experience joy in paradise, right? especially without sin. Second promise. These are Jesus' vows to the church. Revelation 2.11. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And what I call that is safety. Safety. I want to feel safe in a relationship. That's safety. Won't be hurt even by death. Won't be hurt. Forget death do us part. Not even a second death can touch you. This is a forever love. All right, Revelation 2.17, promise number three, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And I call that revelation. 
a name that's known only to you, a special gift known only to you, special things in your relationship so that although we're all together collectively, the church bride, you can have parts of your relationship with Jesus that is still intimate and special just for you. How cool is that? All right. Vow 4, Revelation 2.26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, and I call that one power. Vow number 5, Revelation 3.5, to the one who is victorious, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, new clothes, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. And I call that one honor. Even in the presence of great people, honoring your wife, talking them up, saying, I am here because of this great woman. Honor in the presence of the Father and in the angels. Remember Abraham. Before Pharaoh, he called his wife his sister. He dishonored her. To honor our wives, to honor our husbands, to honor our spouse, honor. Point number six, trust. Revelation 3.12, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. He's trusting us to be a pillar in the temple. To get to the point where if he were to remove you, it would never be the same. Things would fall down. But he trusts you that much that he establishes you as a pillar in the church, in the temple, for holiness, in worship, Point number seven, last one, Revelation 3.21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Pastor Sri and I, when we moved into our new house, we bought ourselves a little special gift. It was like a little egg chair for the deck. And we just bought one. <laughs> Because that's what lovers do. <laughs> and we're like, are we sure it's big enough? And it's like, we'll, we'll make room. We'll find a way. <laughs> I tell you, the throne of God, you know, like it is incredibly intimate. It doesn't say that Jesus is going to get up and just say, you know what, you sit down. It says, I'm going to share it with you. I want to sit on a chair with you, right next to you, all cozy. Such a loving gesture. All right. Those are Jesus' vows to us. What do you reckon? Would you marry him? Good. I tell you what, there's some that's a promise and a half right there. All right, but this is the best that man is this is the best that man has come up with, and I'm gonna go real traditional here because I like I like playing this little game that we're doing. So it's our turn. Do you the church? Take Jesus to be your spiritually wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's till life 
keep us going. <laughs> According to God's holy law and this solemn vow. Excellent. Thanks. Now remind me, church, what comes, where's, where's the cheer, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> We've got to be both the bride and the audience here, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. And now remind me, church, what comes after the wedding vows? <laughs> A kiss. It's guess things are getting awkward. <sighs> all right, Song of Songs 4, 11 to 12. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey, they're under your tongue. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Romance. (laughs) Milk and honey are a symbol for what? For the promised land. When God promised them a home, he said a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey, a symbol for the promised land. The garden, a symbol for Eden itself. And these things are given direct comparison to the intimacy between Jesus and the church. And so what I am telling you here is that the aim is not, the aim is not the promised land. The aim is not Eden. The aim is not even heaven. The aim is intimacy with Jesus. That's what it always was. That was always the aim. It's the heart of Jesus. Imagine the sheer life made possible from unlocking that garden, from that spring bursting forth. A garden, a spring, these are symbols for life. That's what comes when we're in that intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, so we've done the ceremony, we've done the vows, we've done the kiss, kind (laughs) of. And then comes the signing. And we've got a special thing planned for you now. We're going to, for those who are willing, we're going to invite you to come up the front and we're each going to do a signature. Uh, And as an expression of our unity, each signature will begin where the other person's name ends. So I'll do a little example. I'll sign first so you can see what it looks like. And I want you to sign big, all right? Because this is a long piece of paper. This is the biggest wedding document you've ever seen. So we're just going to hold that up. Now the next person's signature needs to start there, all right? All right, so when you're ready, as you're ready, come up, sign away, show your commitment. That's it. Let's do it. Come up. Start at the start, move along. Okay.